God's desire for your life. Every good parent has good wishes or desires for, for his children. God also has desires that he would like to see being fulfilled in our lives. There are things that God will be happy to see you and I fulfill. And one of them is for people to be saved. That's God's desire. Actually, in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4, the Bible says, God who desires all men to be saved. God desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. It is God's will that people should not be deceived. People should know the truth because it's only the truth that can set people free. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9, the Bible says, the Lord is not really being slow about his promise, as some of you think. No, no, no. He is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. It's God's desire, it's God's will that all of us should repent and come to the knowledge of Christ. And today we'll focus on other desires that God has for each one of us. Who will learn from the history of the Israelites? As I always say, the purpose of our meetings every Monday is to study the Bible. That's all that we focus on. And that is exactly what we will do today. We want to study the Bible. I want us to learn something from the Bible. The purpose of our Bible always it's to learn something new. And I intentionally do that. That Every time you attend our Bible study, you must learn something new. You know, every time we finish the Bible study, somebody will, learn, will send me a message and say, oh, I learned something new today. This is what I have learned. And that's exactly the purpose of our Bible study. We have to learn something new. And even today, I, I, I guarantee you there is something new that you will learn from our Bible study today. When the Israelites entered the promised land, they went through the southeastern part of the land of Canaan. They went next to the Dead Sea. Those of you who will be coming to Israel, next year we are, coming, we are going to Israel around, around April, May. Those of you who are coming with us to Israel, you will see the places that I'm going to talk about today. So, they crossed the Jordan River in the same area, just above the Dead Sea. And the name of the place is Shittim. Shittim. Moses delivered the sermons that were recorded in Deuteronomy chapter 14. I mean, Deuteronomy, uh, you know, the last chapter of Deuteronomy. You know, it was about, it's about 40 years or so after they left Egypt. Just imagine. They wandered around the desert for about 40 years. And after that, the Lord has brought them into the promised land. Just before they crossed the Jordan River, God showed Moses the whole land of Canaan, the promised land. And he said, unfortunately, you will not be able to cross the Jordan River. You will not be able to get in there. So. When Moses delivered his final speech, 
he and the children of Israel, they were camping on the east side of the Jordan River. And they were supposed to cross the Jordan River to the western side of the Jordan River. They were just standing outside the promised land. And Moses died in the Moabite mountains. And God buried him there. The Israelites mourned his death. And they stayed there in Shittim for some times. They stayed there as they were mourning Moses for some times. The Bible says they stayed there until God reminded Joshua that he needs to move on. You know, Joshua chapter 1, verse 1, the Bible says, after the death of Moses, the Lord's servant, the Lord spoke to, to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant, and he said, verse 2, Moses, my servant, is dead. Moses, my servant, is dead. Therefore, the time has come for you. <laughs> it's very interesting. God says, it's time for you to lead these people, the Israelites. Help them cross the Jordan River into the land that I'm giving them. I'm going to share my screen with you. And I'll show you the area that we are talking about here. This is the area where they camped. This is the area where they stayed until God had to touch Joshua. And God had to say to Joshua, Joshua, I want you to take these people into the promised land, into the land that I have promised them. Let's look at this map here. When they came, they came through, like I said, right under the Dead Sea. This is the Dead Sea. In the north, we have the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea, they are connected by the River Jordan, the Jordan River. So the river Jordan, it connects the, the Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea. When they came, they came this way through the Negev Desert, and they reached this place here in Shittim. That's where they camped. That's where they camped before they could cross over the Jordan River. And God spoke to Joshua so they could cross over to the other side of the Jordan River because the promised land was this area here was this area in the western side. This is the Mediterranean Sea. So what you see here, what we have read, it took place here in this area, just before they could cross the Jordan River to the other side. And after they have crossed the Jordan River to the other side, the land was divided into different areas based on their tribes, based on their tribes. So what happened is when they crossed over, the first place that they reached, it's the place called Gilga. Gilga. That's where they camped before they could attack Jericho. Remember Jericho? Before they could attack Jericho through worship, through praises. We know, remember they had to walk around the wall of Jericho, around the city of Jericho for seven days, seven times every day. So they camped here in Gilga. And I'm going to spend some time here in Gilga where they camped before they attacked Jericho. There are some few things that took place here in Gilgal. For the first time after they traveled for 40 years, for the first time that the manna stopped here at Gilgal, God stopped providing for, for them at Gilgal. 
the manna stopped. It was at Gilgal where they started to eat the fruit of the land. They started to eat the fruit of the land here at Gilgal. That's where everything took place. That's where everything happened. And there are some few things that I want us to see that happened here at Gilgal. You know, the Jordan River, after they have crossed, one of the things that they did, the Bible says they took 12 stones from the, uh, from the river and they, they piled them at Gilgal. And those are stones of remembrance. Those are the stones of remembrance. So the place where they came, like I said, it's called Gilgal. And Gilgal became a place of remembrance. And I'm going to talk about that towards the end of our Bible study tonight. It became a prominent place in the history of the children of God. Gilgal is mentioned 39 times, especially in the book of Joshua. This is the place where the Israelites camped after crossing the Jordan River. It's very interesting that the site has just been located. It's about eight miles north of Jericho. It's about 13 kilometers or so north of Jericho. And the Hebrew name, Gilgal, what it means is the cycle or cycle of stones, cycle of stones. Gilgal was a place of memorial. That's where they did something for the first time. That's a place where they, they sacrificed for the first time. Gilgal was a place of consecration. They purified themselves. It's a place where God instructed Joshua to circumcise all the men when they were in Gilgal. Circumcision means to cut the flesh. This is very interesting and it's very important for us to know. The flesh must die at Gilgal. Circumcision was the renewal of the covenant that God made with Abraham. Remember, God instructed Abraham that all his descendants, all of them, all the men, all the boys, they have to be circumcised to be part of this covenant or agreement. And you'll recall that the old generation that left Egypt was not circumcised. I mean, it was, it was circumcised, but the new generation that was born on the way, it was not circumcised. It was not circumcised. So it was a new generation altogether. And they were part of the new covenant. This new generation that crossed the Jordan River was never circumcised. Their flesh was never cut. And God said in Gilgal, there should be rededication. The covenant must be renewed. There must be a renewal of the covenant before you could fight the Canaanites, before you could enjoy the fruit of the land, before you could do anything, you have to cut the flesh. Before they started to fight with the nations in Canaan, even before the walls of Jericho could fall, they had to purify themselves. They had to cut the flesh. They had to cut the flesh first. What is your Gilgal in your life? The place where you draw a line in the sand. A place where you say enough is enough. 
with the works of the devil in my life. I can't continue with this life anymore. This is my Gilgal. A place where you will say, I'm no longer half a Christian and half a sinner. I want to be fully involved as a Christian. I want to cross over the river Jordan and get into my Gilgal. I'm all in in the kingdom of God. I'm fully dedicated in the kingdom of God. I will serve God fully. I will do his work fully. I will serve in his ministry fully. At some point, you have to reach a Gilgal in your life. Gilgal became a place of worship. That's where they established the Ark of the Covenant. They established the place to worship God. They established an altar for God. It became a place of worship. Before Jerusalem was established as the main city in Israel, Gilgal was a place of worship. It was their headquarters, if you will. It was their head office. People went there to worship the living God. That is where the tabernacle was, was stationed. It was a Gilgal where they met. Gilgal was their church. Gilgal was the place of worship. They offered sacrifices to the Lord at Gilgal. Saul was crowned king of Israel at Gilgal. We'll see that towards the end of our Bible study tonight. It was a place where the first king of Israel, Saul, was publicly crowned, was coronated at Gilgal. Once they conquered the land, they divided this, this land based on their tribes. And something very interesting that I wanted to, uh, to see as they divided the land. We'll see the 12 tribes of Israel. Each one of them, they'll get a portion of the land, except the Levites. The Levites get a portion of the land. And this is what happened. This is the Dead Sea. This is the Sea of Galilee right on top here. This is the Sea of Galilee, and this is, the, this is the Dead Sea. In between, the two seas are connected by the River Jordan. So they reached here, and they crossed over to Gilgal before they could attack Jericho. But then later on, later on, Joshua divided the land based on their tribes. This is the, land of, this is the tribe of Naphtali, Asher, Zebulun, Issachar, Look at the tribe of Manasseh, and I'm going to talk about the tribe of Manasseh in the next few minutes. The tribe of Manasseh was divided into two. Half of them, they, they decided to stay on the eastern side of the river Jordan. The other half decided to stay on the western side of the river Jordan. That's why you see the half tribe of Manasseh is on the left, the other half is on the right of the river Jordan. And also the tribe of Gad they stayed on the right side of the river Jordan. And the, the tribe of Reuben, they also stayed on the right side of the river Jordan. This is very important for us to, to note because in the next few verses, we're going to read in, in, in Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 11. That's what we're going to focus on. We are going to focus on this area here on the right side of the land. On the left side of the land, we have the Judah here. Judah, that's where we have Jerusalem now and other places. And here it's in the southern part of the uh, of the land of Israel. We have Benjamin, we have the uh, Dan, we have Ephraim. All these are the 
tribes of Israel, the tribes of Israel. Now, if you look here, this land is called the land of the Moabites. That's why we have Ammon. And we're going to talk about Ammon, this land here, because the king of Ammon, at some point, he wanted to attack the children of Israel who were living in the Manasseh area, in this area, the tribe of Manasseh. Those who were living in this area, and he tried to attack them. But remember, when Joshua divided the land, he said to these three tribes here, Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, he said to them, yes, you are living in the other side of the river Jordan, but in case your brothers on the left are being attacked, please be ready to go and help them. And also your brothers who are on the left side of the river Jordan, in case you are attacked, you must be ready to go and fight for your brothers who are on the other side of the river Jordan. Gad, Reuben, and a half of the tribe of Manasseh. And at some point, we see the king of the Ammonites, he tried to attack the children of Israel who were living here, the tribe of Manasseh. And what they did, they had to run, they had to send someone to go and invite and tell King Saul on the left-hand side of the River Jordan to come and assist because now they are being attacked. And this happened about four or 500 years later after, after Joshua. So what you see, it's later, the kingdom was divided into two. And I'm not going to talk about that tonight, but I just want to show you something which uh, it could be of interest. It was divided into the southern kingdom and the northern kingdom. The Judah area in the southern kingdom and on the northern part of the kingdom, it was called Israel. They maintained the name Israel. The Judah part of Israel, the, the, the southern part of Israel, that's where we have the two tribes of the Jews. And this is very important for us to note. It's very interesting for us to note because when you speak of the Jews, the Jews are not the Israelites. The Jews are those who came from the tribe of Judah. Those who came from the tribe of Judah. And these are the Jews who later went to Babylon, who were captured in Babylon. And when you read the book of Daniel, the book of Daniel, it, 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 it describes the history of the Jews, the southern part of the kingdom, who were taken to Babylon. Babylon is in the northern eastern part of the land. That's where today we call it Iran and Iraq. That is Babylon. Actually, it's the same area where Abraham came from. That's where they were taken to. So, Cedric, Meshach, Abednego, and Daniel, they were taken to that. They were still young. They were still boys, innocently so. They were taken from this land of Judah to Babylon. And when you read the book of Daniel, that story takes place there when these Jews. And also the book of Esther, after the Jews were released, after they came back, some of them came back, some of them, they stayed over there. The book of Esther takes place in Babylon. And it is for the first time that we see the word or the name Jews. Jews. Because the Jews are referring to those who are in the southern kingdom. Let me say this. Not every Israelite is a Jew. The Jews are those who are from the tribe of Judah. Not all Israelites are Jews. I know now when we speak, we just speak casually. And we say every Israelite is a Jew. No, not every Israelite is a Jew. And that's why I said the purpose of Bible study is for us to learn something new. And I hope this is helping you to learn uh, something new 
uh, even today. Now, I want us to go back to our map here. What you are going to read, it takes place here. Remember, this is the Sea of Galilee on the north, the Dead Sea in the south, in between, we have the Jordan River. And on the right side, that's where the Manasseh tribe and the Gad, that's where these tribes are. They are here on the right side of the, uh, of the River Jordan. And what we'll see today, we're going to see a king, a king, King Nehash, from Ammon, this the Amorite. He will try to go up here and attack this land, Jabesh Gilead. What he does is when he tries to attack them, he says to them, I'm going to kill you, I'm going to attack you. But what these people said is, before you attack us, let's make a treaty, let's make an agreement. Let's make an agreement. And he said, yes, I can make an agreement with you. I can make a treaty. I can sign a treaty with you. But the treaty will be, I have to gorge out all your, your right eyes. All of you, the whole nation. I will gorge out your right eyes. Then I will let you leave. And they said, okay, no problem. But before, give us some time. Give us about seven days. And we'll see if we can get some help. And they send a messenger to the left side of the uh, of the river Jordan to the other to their brothers, to their brothers, and they said to another King Saul. At this point, Saul was a king. The king Saul and say, "We are being attacked here. Can you come and help us?" And what we'll see is King Saul. He gathers them. Uh, he gathers the army from the north and from the south. From the north, it's Israel. From the south, is the area of Judah. And he gathers those two uh, those armies to go and fight. And one morning, early in the morning, they went and they fought with the Ammonites and have won the victory. And that's what we're going to focus on today. That's what we're going to focus on today. I hope you find this uh, very, very helpful. I hope you find this very uh, helpful. So that's what we're going to focus on um, this evening or this morning, depending on where you are. So after they, they settled in the promised land, they were led by judges. After, after Joshua died, they were led by judges. And there are about 12 judges that we, uh, we read in the book of Judges. The book of Judges, it, it talks about the period between Joshua after he died and the time when we have the new king of Israel. So between Joshua and the first king of Israel, King Saul, the Israelites that were led by judges. We learn about Othaniel as one of the first judge, Ehud as a judge, Shemga as a judge, Deborah. She's the only woman judge, by the way. One of the judges also. We have Gideon as the judge, Hola as a judge, Jahir as a judge, Jephthah as a judge, Ibzam as a judge, Elon as a judge, Abdon as a judge, and the last one is Samson. And after Samson, then we have uh, Eli, the prophet Eli, or the priest Eli. So it was about 400 years later after they had settled that now in the book of First Samuel, we read about Eli. Eli was the priest and he became the leader of the nation. So Eli, he led the nation after Samson. And Eli, he trained Samuel. Remember the boy Samuel? He was trained under, uh, under the ministry of Eli. So Samuel handed over the leadership to the king, to the first king of Israel, 
the first king of Israel was Saul. We talked about Saul last week. And I would recommend, when you get a chance, please go to, uh, to our website, www.drmanasseh.com. And that's where you get the podcast where we talk about that history between Saul when he retook over the reins from someone. And now the first challenge that Saul had, that Saul faced, was when King Nahash, remember I talked about King Nahash? The Ammonite. That's when he attacked the Manasseh tribe on the eastern side of the Jordan River. So now we're jumping into 1 Samuel chapter 11. 1 Samuel chapter 11. 1 Samuel chapter 11, verse 1, the Bible says about a month later, this was after, uh, you know, uh, King Saul was anointed. After a month later, King Nahash of Ammon, he led his army against the Israelite town of Jabesh Gilead. I showed you where it is, Jabesh Gilead in the Manasseh area. But all the citizens of Jabesh asked for peace. And they said, make a treaty with us and we'll be your servant. We are willing to, to serve under you, O King Nahash. Let's look at verse 2. The Bible says, all right, Nehesh agreed, but only one condition. I will gorge out the eye or the right eye of every one of you as a, as a disgrace for all Israel. I like verse 3. The Bible says, verse 3 says, give us seven days to send a messenger throughout Israel. That's what the, the elders of Jabesh said. That's what they the tribe of Manasseh said. So if no one comes to rescue us or to save us, we'll agree to your terms. Now, during this time, remember they did not have guns to fight with. They were just using bows and arrows to fight and defend themselves. So for you to use a bow and an arrow, you know, you will need your right eye to aim the arrow. Nehash, Nehash, he knew that once their eyes were gorged out, they will not see again. They will never fight them again. They will lose their balance. Let me say this. God's desire is that you have a vision for your life. And that's what I'm going to focus on today. God's desire is for you to have a vision for your life, have a vision for your family, have a vision for your school, have a vision for your church, have a vision for your ministry, have a vision for your village, have a vision for everything that you do. And the devil wants to take out your vision. The name Nehesh, Nehesh, it's a Hebrew name. You know what it means? Nehesh means a serpent. That is the meaning of the name Nehesh. That is the name of the king who wanted to take out the vision of the Israelites. You know, once you have no vision, you become an easy target and an easy prey to the devil. When you have no vision, you have no sense of direction. When you have no vision for your life, you have no sense of worth. When you have no vision, you have low self-esteem. And it's very interesting. When you have no vision, 
you try to cover it with pride. When you have low self-esteem, you try to cover it with pride. You know what is pride? Pride is a sign of insecurity. When you are insecure, you use pride to cover your, your insecurities. You want to be in control because you are not secure. You, you use things and people to cover for your insecurities. You want everyone to feel you because you have no sense of vision. Nehesh, the serpent, has taken your vision. You know, everyone should know that you may not be secure, but you have things. You have material things to, to make up for your insecurities, for your lack of vision. You display it everywhere. Oh, look at what I have. Look at how the Lord has blessed me. And you know you're displaying that not because God has blessed you. You are displaying that for you have your own motive. You are covering up for a level of vision and a sense of insecurity. You know deep down in your heart that the motive is to show off, especially to someone that you think hates you. And that is why most of the preachers today, they can waste the whole hour. They can waste the whole sermon Talking about haters. Haters. People who hate them. You know, when things go wrong, you blame the haters. Let me say this to you. Our enemy is the devil. Your neighbor is not your enemy. Your colleague is not your enemy. Your church member is not your enemy. Your family members are not your enemy. Your cousin is not your enemy. Your aunt is not your enemy. Our warfare is spiritual, not physical. The devil wants you to look at other people as your enemies. And you are so convinced that you even talk about them on the pulpit. Yes, the devil can use people. But those people are not your enemies. They're not your real enemies. Your real enemy who hates you with a passion and who will never forgive you is a devil. When you have no vision for your own life, you'll always feel the need to have someone complete you. Let me say this to you, my brother, my sister. You don't need a man to be complete. You don't need a woman to be complete. You are complete in Christ. You are more than conqueror in Christ. Do not be controlled by another human being. Do not be controlled by the likes of people. Not everyone will like you. Yes, not everyone will like you. And you have to come to terms with that. Don't try to, to please everybody. Don't try to be liked by everyone. If you live by the compliments of people, this is very important, listen to me. If you live by the compliments of people, if you live by the likes of people, if you live by the applause of people, you will be killed by their criticisms. You know, compliments are good, but compliments are like perfume. Just sniff it and enjoy it. Don't swallow it. When you swallow it, it becomes poisonous. It becomes dangerous to your health and to your life. Do not be controlled by what sounds popular at that time. You know, the Bible is very interesting. James says, uh, you are not stable. He says, he says, you are tossed to and fro by the winds of this world. Just because everybody does it, it does not make it right. You know, Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12, the Bible says, there is a way that appears to be right. But in the end, it leads to death. Nehash, the devil, 
They want you to lose your vision. God's desire is for you to regain your vision. God desires to see you regaining your vision. Luke chapter 4, verse 18, when Jesus Christ came, he had a mission. He said, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. And he continues to say, he has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners. I like the last part he says, and the recovery of sight for the blind and to set the oppressed, the captives, free. Jesus says he has come so that he can recover your sight, so that he can have the vision again. You had the vision before. You knew what you wanted to do before. You knew where you want to be before. You had a vision for your family. You had a vision for your career. You had a vision for your ministry. You had a vision for your church. You had a vision for your business. You had a vision for your job. You had a vision for your children. But today, you have no sense of vision. Nehesh, the serpent, has taken your vision away. He took it through the cares of this world. He took it through the calamities and the pains of this world. You lost your vision through the battles of this world. You have lost your vision. You have lost your faith. You have lost hope. No vision. You feel discouraged. You do not see the reason for living anymore. All people who have committed suicide, they have lost the vision. They have lost the hope. They, they have lost the sense of purpose. They did not see the reason for them to wake up tomorrow and face the next day. Maybe some of you are feeling the same way as I speak today. We are talking about God's desire for your, for your life today. God's desire for your life is for you to have a vision again. Some of you don't want to dream again. You do not want to dream because someone disappointed you. You do not want to dream because someone did not fulfill their promise. You do not want to dream about being married again because a man or a woman disappointed you. You do not want to, to go back to church because someone hurt you. Today, there's a popular statement that the popular say, they call it church head, church head, church head. It's very interesting. You are hurt by the church and you don't want to go back to church. How many people have hurt you at your job, but you still keep on going back to the job, the very same job every day? How many of your friends have hurt you, but you keep on communicating with them, WhatsApping with them, talking to them, calling them? They are still your friend, but they have hurt you multiple times. How many people have hurt you? In your village, how many people have hurt you in town, but you still keep on going back to them? Just because you are hurt at church, you don't want to go back to the church again. Some of you do not want to participate actively in ministry because you have been hurt. You have lost your vision and purpose of your life. Actually, you are not living. You are just surviving. You are just there. You know, some of you, when I ask you, how are you? You just say, I'm there, Nikon. I'm just there. I'm just present. I'm just present. You do not feel the excitement of living anymore. And Jesus says he has come so that you will have a vision again. And I want to encourage you today. Dream again, my brother. Hope again, my sister. Believe again. See again. 
gain a vision again. You know, this coming Thursday, I meet with some leaders in our class. We call it next level leadership. Next level leadership. And I will help them discover their purpose for living. I will help them write down their vision. Each one of them, by the end of that meeting on Thursday, they'll have what they call a mission statement. They'll understand why they are alive. Do not allow Nahash, the serpent, to take your vision. God's desire for you is that you must have a vision for your life. There is nothing significant in this world that was ever built by pessimists. Every big construction that you know, every big company, every big significant bridge, every road, every organization, every school, every church, every business that you see today, it was built by women and men with a vision. If you want to have a purpose in life, you must live a life of vision. You must have a vision in your life. Every prosperous nation that you see, it's because it is led by visionary leadership. And let me say this, not every politician has a vision. <laughs> not every politician has a vision. Some politicians are just there to feed their families, that's all. To them, it is just another job. It's just a job. They do not care about you. Do not put your trust in politicians. Put your trust in God. Proverbs 29 verse 8 in the Bible says, where there is no vision, the people perish. The people perish. Actually, I like the New International Version. The Bible says, where there is no vision, where there is no revelation, people cast off restraints. People cast off restraints. To cast off restraints means you have no sense of control. We are all born for a purpose. A vision will give you a sense of purpose. A vision will give you a sense of control in your life. You know what let's talk about self-control? Nobody will ever practice self-control if they have no vision. Because a vision will build boundaries in your life. People with no vision, they have no boundaries. You know, I was a school teacher for, for quite some time. Actually, I still teach even today. I'm a professor at Westcliff University in Irvine, California. There's a big difference between teaching high school students and graduate students. The students that I teach now, they are doing doctorates. Some of them are doing their master's degrees. Most of the high school students that I taught way back, more than 20 years ago, my experience is high school students, some of them have no sense of vision. The doctoral students now, they know what they want. They have a sense of vision. And I can tell a big, the difference. There is a big, big difference between teaching high school students and teaching doctoral students. It's a big, big difference. Let me say this. The most difficult group to work with is a group that has no sense of vision or direction in life. People who have no direction, they, they just do anything that sounds popular. People who do crazy stuff, girls, women, they'll do crazy stuff on TikTok just to get some likes. People are craving for, for popularity. They just want to be popular. They just want to be famous. If you ask them, what is your vision? 
or I want to be popular, I want to be famous. I want to, I want to be, uh, they call it influence. I want to be uh, an influencer, social media influencer. Really? Is that all that you want to be in life? Is that the reason you are willing even to be, to be half naked and expose your body just because you want to be popular? Just because you want some likes? Just to be popular, to be famous? Oh, get a life. Get a life. I mean, there are more serious things in life than just being popular. You need a vision for your life. You need a vision. People with no vision, they have no boundaries. Anything goes. Anything goes. And let me say this, do not worry about boundaries. Worry about your vision. Vision for your ministry, vision for your family, vision for your job, a vision for your career, vision for your church, vision for your children. Once you become focused, once you have a vision, boundaries are automatically built. There are some places you will just stop going because now you have a vision. Once you have a vision, there are some people you will automatically stop associating with. It is so amazing how God works when you have a vision. When you have a vision and a sense of direction, God brings like-minded people who are in the same direction with you. You attract and meet with people who have the same passion as you. People who are interested in the same project as you. People who have the same ministry burden like you. Check your friends and the people that you associate with and ask yourself, what is my vision with these people? Are we all heading in the same direction? If the guy has no vision, what am I doing with this him, with this man? What am I doing with him? If this lady has no vision, why am I with her? Why do I waste my time? Why do I waste his time? Why do I waste her time? Vision brings the right association in your life. Now we understand why Nehesh wanted to remove their, their vision, their eyes. The devil wants you to live without a vision and God's desire for your life is for you to have a vision. As I'm going to close, if you go to verse five, the Bible says, Saul had been plowing a field with his ox. And when he returned to town, he asked, what's the matter? Why is everyone crying? So they told him about the message from Jabesh. They told him that, oh, by the way, your brothers on the other side are about to die. They're about to be gushed out their eyes. Their eyes are about to be gushed out. They're about to lose their sight. They're about to lose their vision. Verse 8, the Bible says, we're talking about 1 Samuel chapter 11. Verse 8, the Bible says, when Saul mobilized them at Bezek, he found that there were 300,000 men from Israel. Remember Israel is the northern part of the country? 300,000 from the northern part and 30,000 men from Judah, from the southern part. And he mobilized them. Verse 11, the Bible says, but before dawn, the next morning, Saul arrived, having divided his army into three detachments. And he launched a surprise attack against the Ammonites. Oh my goodness. And he slaughtered them the whole morning. They, they killed them. They killed them and they won the battle. They won the battle. And when they went back to, to the other side of Israel, verse 14, before it closed, the Bible says, then someone said to the people, come. It's very powerful. Come. 
Let us all go to Gilgal to reunion the king. Remember Gilgal? Remember Gilgal? So they all went to Gilgal. And in a solemn ceremony before the Lord, they made Saul a king at Gilgal. At Gilgal. Then they offered peace offerings to the Lord. And Saul and all the Israelites were filled with joy. Here we're talking about 500 years later, after the Israelites had gathered in Gilgal for the first time. Remember, the first time they came to there was after they crossed the river Jordan with Joshua. Now, after, after their victory, someone wanted them to go back to Gilgal, a place of remembrance. They went to Gilgal for the coronation of their first king, Saul. This is the first place where they camped when they entered Canaan. Gilgal represents a place of renewal. That's where they renewed their vows. That's where they renewed their commitments to God. This is the place where it all started. Place of worship, a place of victory, a place of joy. Samuel says, once in a while, we need to go back to Gilgal. God's desire is for you to go back to Gilgal. Number one, God's desire is for you to have a vision. Number two, God's desire is for you to go back to your Gilgal. What is your Gilgal? What is your Gilgal? Some of you, your Gilgal could be prayer. You used to be a prayer warrior. You used to pray day and night. You never used to miss any prayer meeting. Once you got saved earlier in your, in, in, in your, in your Christianity, you used to be a very faithful Christian when it came to prayer. You trusted God more. Maybe you have lost your vision for prayer. You're no longer as committed as you used to be. Let me say this to you. Go back to your Gilgal. Go back to your Gilgal. Some of you, it could be Bible study. You never used, I mean, you used to read the Bible from Genesis all the way to Revelation. You used to read a chapter a day. You used to be committed to reading the word of God. You used to attend every Bible study that was. But now you only do it casually. You only do it when you get a chance. Can, can you go back to your Gilgal? Some of you, it was Christian fellowship. All your friends were Christians. You are committed to saving God together. You are committed to, uh, to be available anytime you are needed in church. But now you are not as committed as you used to be. Some of you could be worship. You are true worshipers of God. You worship God in truth and in spirit. And you are no longer as committed as you used to be in worship. Some of you could be witnessing for Christ. You used to evangelize the whole village. You used to evangelize the whole town. Every street, every shop that you went to, you used to share the word of God. You used to share the gospel when you were early, uh, in your early days of your salvation. Now you have lost that passion. Can you go back to Gilgal? Some of it could be holy living. Living a clean life. Living a clean life. A life without sin. You used to hate sin, but now you're so casual with sin. You play with the devil and you expect him to play with you. The devil is not somebody to play with. It's not somebody to play with. You, you can't play next to sin and expect to live a holy life. If you do not want to have a haircut, if you do not want to have a haircut, 
Don't frequent a barber shop because one day you'll come back home with a haircut. There is no new definition of sin. Governments may change. The government may change their policies, but the definition of sin remains the same. The government may change the laws of the land. They may redefine marriage and update their laws. The definition of sin is still the same. There's no updated version of sin. What you knew as sin five years ago, what you knew as sin 10 years ago, what you knew as sin 20 years ago, my brother, my sister, it is still sin even today. It cannot change just because now you are more educated. It cannot change just because now you are living in a different city. It cannot change just because now you are living in a, in a new town. Go back to Gilgal, my brother. Someone says, after our victory, let's remember who gave us the victory. That is God. And I want to say this to you, my brother, my sister. Get excited about God again. Get excited about your salvation again. Get excited about holy living again. Get excited about the Holy Spirit again. Get excited about the things of God again. Get excited about ministry again. God's desire for your life is that you will have a vision of your life again. And God's desire for your life is that you will go back to Gilgal and live for him again.